Thank you for tuning in to GV Talks, a podcast where I speak to locals about what's going on in the community. All people, whether successful or struggling, make our community what it is. GV Talks highlights those making a difference. Tune in every Thursday for a new episode. The podcast is proudly sponsored by Origin Athletics, a local 24-7 gym dedicated to getting you fit and healthy. Mention that you heard about the club from the podcast and pay no joining fee. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Nicole, thank you for joining me on GV Talks. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. How's your morning been? Oh, really busy. Really busy. Yeah. Uh, mix of work and um, my own studies and meditation that still you know happen on a daily basis. So trying to juggle lots of things on any given day. So yeah, it's been good. Yeah. What inspired you to reach out to me to come on the podcast? Um, so I guess I want to, my goal is to have a, a voice, a platform uh, for alternative, integrative uh, health and wellness. Um, my own journey started quite a few years ago with my husband's health uh, and it's led us on such a wild ride um, of figuring out, you know, not everything, you know, like what, what is one man's food is another man's poison, so to speak. So there are so many different areas out there that can help with physical and mental health. And it's just trying to find uh, that thing that resonates with you. Um, so it's taken us down a lot of rabbit holes, a, a lot of traveling and a lot of trial and error to try and um, fix my husband, number one. And then, you know, you get to the point where you ask yourself the big questions. You're like, well, why are we here? You know, and that take us took took us down another rabbit hole of you know like a, a spiritual journey as well. And um, so I I'm a certified integrated nutrition health coach. I'm also a, a certified breathwork facilitator, and I also do Reiki, which is energy healing. Uh, and they're quite powerful modalities to to work in with people's physical and, and mental health and wellness. So, um, and I know a lot of people in town, you know, do do similar things or, or reach out to people who who have those skills but we're not very well known you know as to who we are and what we have to offer and also how we can fit into uh, the health and wellness scene and system because I think people rely more heavily on on mainstream medicine and it's trying to get that voice out there there are so many other options you know uh, and, and as I said, it's not just physical health, it's, it's um, mental health as well, which is a huge, huge problem. You know, it's just, it's ravaging society. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. So you just want to talk about those topics? Yeah. And hopefully the people in Shepparton can tune in and take something away from it? Yes. Yeah, great. Yeah. Before we get too deep into it, do you want to let the Shepparton locals know who they're listening to? Oh, my name's Nicole Cleve. <laughs> Um, we have a business here in town, my family's business, which is Cleves Earth Moving and Garden Supplies. Um, but I've branched out and, and have been doing my own studies uh, and um, trying to find uh, where I fit into the world. And that's where my uh, holistic health training and, and breath work and meditation come into it. Yeah, cool. So you've just been a student recently again. Yeah, and I still am. It's yeah. still ongoing. I'm, I'm constantly, you know researching and I'm still in my second certification for breathwork 
course which will enable me to to understand uh, more different types of breathwork uh, and how they can uh, benefit and work into again like a, 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 a holistic modality of a person's health and wellness um, and every now and then it takes me down quite different rabbit holes so I'm studying uh, the vagus nerve at the moment and, and what that does and, and how that um, has a bearing on the brain and the body and where that fits into uh, breath work and meditation and nutrition and so yeah there's lots of things has all your study been online uh i guess well the last year with covid uh, yeah most of it has been my breath work training was supposed to be in person because obviously it's something that you need to be able to have the person in front of you you need to be able to see them and to hear them uh, to hear their breath you know to watch their chest rise and fall and that sort of thing but um, it ended up being uh, quite an extensive online course. Uh, Zoom's amazing, who would have thought? Um, and yes, and even with my uh, integrative nutrition course, uh, that's out of New York, so that was all online, but that was quite doable as well. Do you think as you've matured, the way you've learned has become different? Definitely, definitely. You know what, I've read more books in the last 12 months than I've read in my entire life um, an audiobook is amazing I absolutely love audible because I'm able to listen to a book while I'm driving or, or, or gardening or vacuuming the house and you know I have a lot of prerequisite um, written content with my courses and so there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of books I've got to digest and a lot of modules and if anything's on audible <laughs> I can get something done without even you know raising a sweat so it's it's amazing yeah i'm a huge fan of audible i actually give this tip to a lot of people who want to get into it if you go to cancel your account they'll give you three months half price yes all right <laughs> <laughs> so if you're into audiobooks uh have a look at audible and as soon as you get your subscription go to cancel it they'll give you three months half price yeah now it's an amazing platform yeah. yeah what about family uh, so I live with my husband yeah. uh, and we have uh, three grown children between us and four grandchildren but they're all spread out so it's just him and I in a really big house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, is a lot of people in that situation start thinking about downsizing. Is that something that you entertain or? Uh, no, not yet. No. No, we actually look forward to or, you know, like we enjoy the space. Yeah. Because uh, we've got five acres as well, so it's not just the size of, size of the house. It's the land. It's the privacy. You know, we back onto uh, the bush and the walking track uh, down at Cleola, onto the river. You know, we've got a lot of wildlife and birds. and So at the moment, I think at, at this stage in life, we're actually really enjoying it. But, yes, there'll be a time where we definitely need to downsize. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of memories in that house. Uh, well, we've only been there almost two years. So okay. it was... Um, it was just an opportunity that come up that my husband uh, just thought it was too good to pass up. So, yeah. Yeah, It's Sounds still a newish phase. Um, but we've been, I mean, we're always really busy. So there's, there's never a lot of time spent at home. Like even with COVID, you know, we were lucky that we weren't affected too much with our business. So we stay quite busy. So we're looking forward to the time where we are a little bit more quieter and we can enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah, great. All right, awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your husband was diagnosed with? Yeah, so uh, so things really kicked off for me about six years ago. And my husband was always unwell, just always unwell. There was always something, you know, and, and I'd urge him to go to the doctors and he, you know, 
go and say, oh, they couldn't find anything and there'd be this blood test and, you know, that prescription and and nothing ever got resolved. And I think with men as especially, it can be really difficult because they're, they're seen as the strong masculine providers. And so if they go to the doctor and the doctor says, I can't really find anything wrong, you know, they, they just sort of brush it off and, and get on with it. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic when you live with someone who's not well all the time because it has an effect on both of your lives and it had been going on for quite some time and, and when I say that I mean you know probably years and I got to the point where I said to my husband I can't do this anymore like I, you really need to you know find out what's wrong with you or I'm not sure where we're going to go from here because it affects my life as well it affects my quality of life um, so he finally said he'd give it another go and I found a, a specialist men's clinic down in Melbourne that did an absolutely thorough health screen on him and, and every test you can imagine and it was amazing and we got the call to, to go back and to get all the results and within about, I don't know, four minutes he said, well, I'm sorry to tell you Andrew that you have not one but you have two very serious life-threatening heart conditions. Um, and you also have quite moderate sleep apnea and we think you've got cancer and that was just in minutes it's just and it was just we didn't even know what to say um, yeah. <laughs> and it was like okay so so well, what do we deal with first like where do we go from here and the doctor just said well sleep apnea is the, the easiest thing to do and obviously if you're not sleeping you're not healing um, so they admitted him into hospital to do a sleep study uh, two separate occasions to get that under control which was great um, and then with his heart condition it was it was quite a rare heart condition that he had he had an, um, an ascending aneurysm and so what happens in that instance is that the aorta expands but it never ever contracts again like it you can stop it from growing but you can never shrink it in size and if you don't stop it from growing it explodes yeah so you're dead before you hit the ground and the only way to fix that is to have surgery uh, and this is where things get complicated because the type of surgery that Andrew needed he was too young for meaning if they went and they did the surgery then in another 10 to 12 years, he would need a second open heart surgery because the uh, the procedures that they've been trialling aren't quite right yet to do non-invasive surgery. So the plan from there was to, to, to medicate him and study him and try and keep him alive long enough to have, you know, either the new procedure, which at that time, six years ago, the, the mortality rate was 97%. <laughs> Mm. You know, so he's going to die with the surgery, he's going to die without the surgery, and it was just crazy. Um, so the medication that he was on for all sorts of different things, again, was making him sick. You know, so I'd go to the specialist and I'd say, was well, there anything we can heal here through nutrition? You know, like we've got to pull back some of these medications that he's on because he's going downhill, he's not getting better. Uh, and the cardiologist said to me that he will never ever be off medication for as long as he lives even if he has surgery and it was as simple as that and I was just like this doesn't make sense to me uh, so we've been um, uh, involved in doing like detox protocols we try and do one once a year uh, and and I knew the power of like doing a, an intensive detox process so 
we looked into doing something like that and then in the meantime I, I doctor shopped and I found another cardiologist because the other frustrating thing sometimes with doctors is that they don't listen so you're sitting here saying okay this is making me sick or I feel like this or these are my side effects and the doctor goes no 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 that doesn't happen when you know that that's what's happening to you uh, so again it was it was a real concern not being listened to so if they're not taking notice we don't know what other damage is happening so yeah we ended up finding another cardiologist who was uh, on board with with pursuing the surgery and just seeing you know weighing up the risks and we contacted his heart surgeon which we had already had a couple of meetings with and he was quite prepared to go through with the surgery um, so we asked if we could go overseas and do quite an intensive detox program for Andrew before surgery because um, with his heart condition and the medication that he was on he wasn't allowed to do anything either so he just kept putting on weight and that was dangerous enough on his heart mm -hmm. let alone anything else uh, so he didn't feel there was anything too dangerous in that so we did we flew to Thailand which is a they've got an amazing detox retreat over there and we try and go every year except for COVID got in the way of the last one um, and he was on a specialized program obviously because they've got you know uh, their um, risks with insurance and things over there um, but to cut a long story short within well, I think within a week I think it was seven or eight days uh, and he'd lost 10 kilos um, and he was able to pull back on some of his meds and then have the surgery uh, and the surgery was it was complicated and he ended up um, in intensive care for quite a long time and then he had another stint in hospital and but once we got through that sort of danger period and we kept up with that really strict protocol at home uh, with nutrition and exercise and you know meditation and you know anything that we could pull out of the, the bag of tricks is what we used and six months later he was in the best shape of his life and we went back to his uh, six month checkup and I asked his cardiologist if he could come off all of his meds and he said this is absolutely unheard of but he was prepared that he come off all his medication except a half an aspirin a day yeah you know and that was just by doing things for us you know through nutrition through mitigating the stress um, through exercise you know and then trying to make sure that you know environment and relationships were harmonious you know it takes it's not always just about the food that you put in your mouth you know nutrition is everything nutrition is the thoughts that you think your emotions your feelings your relationships are they in a good place you know are you happy with your job do you get on with your co-workers um, your environment at large you know like what you put on your skin nutrition's everything it's everything you take in you know as a human being and I think uh, a lot of the times the bigger picture of nutrition is is forgotten you know uh, and so that really proved to us that when you use a, a an integrative and holistic you know modality to, to heal health um, that anything's possible so for us it was a good outcome what was his lifestyle like prior to the health scare? Uh, your typical Aussie businessman, you know, that works 14 hours a day and is always tired and, you know, there's there's something that needs to be done seven days a week and then 
He might have a hit of golf with his mates once in a blue moon and then, you know, to relax, it's going out for dinner and it's beer and it's wine and, you know, there's not much downtime, there's not much exercise, there's not much stress relief. It's, you know, uh, and I think, and especially for that generation, you know, uh, of man, it's, you know, it's that bravado where they have to keep going and, you know, they don't let people see that things aren't okay. They just sort of keep pushing through, so... Yeah, sometimes it takes something really big to be a wake-up call. Yeah. So in saying that, do you feel like this was an essential part of his journey, him having this big health scare? Well, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely, because it's interesting, because when we moved on from um, his heart uh, situation, then he went back. So he had six months off work after the surgery. And as I said, he was in the best shape of his life. And then six months after going back to work... I, I just I could see the change in his eyes and his face and in his shoulders you know like the change you can actually physically see and feel a change in someone and I remember turning around and saying to him and this was predominantly through stress mm. you know uh, and, and so the, the the diet went out the, the door and the exercise went out the door because you're back at work and you don't have the time and you know and you've got all these deadlines to meet and bills to pay and and I remember turning around and saying to him, you know, like, mate, I really think the cancer's taken a hold of you. There's something seriously not right here. So sure enough, we go back. And that had been monitored in the background the whole time, mind you, but the cancer had to take a back seat because his heart was the biggest problem at the time. You know, like he could drop dead at any time. Uh, it was crazy. Um, so sure enough, we go back to the doctors and six months later and it was like, yeah, we've got a problem here. You know, so again, it's you're faced with, you know, the doctor's opinion and, and a surgical opinion, and this is what we think you need to do. Uh, and my stance was, well, is there anything else we can try first? You know, that's not final. Like surgery, for example, you can cut a body part out. You can't put it back in. Yeah. So is there a way that you can try and save that body part? Like, is, is there a way that you can not have things so final straight away? You know, and it's a work in progress. So again, we went down that, you know, nutrition, exercise, you know, meditation, breathing, you know, detoxing, all of that sort of stuff. And um, we ended up doing an integrative cancer program over in, in Thailand again. And, and that worked uh, amazingly. And he had really good results from that. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And he ended up having to have surgery. And he's recovering from that now. So yeah yeah but while that was happening i realized you know well you know and i spent a lot of years looking after my husband and, and researching and trying the best i could to help him but at the same time i wasn't actually helping me so i had to get to a point where i said well i need to look at you know how to look after myself as well and and as i said earlier you know we've been doing these detox programs and it was through going to another detox program that I got into more of the meditation side and the breathing side and how to to invoke that stressless state, like at will. You need to be able to, if you're stressed, you need to be able to switch it off as quick as you can switch it on, you know? And that's where the rest of my training come into it with Reiki and breath work. Can you tell us a little bit about these detox programs? Uh, so yeah, we were doing some here in Australia quite a few years back and then I ended up just researching anywhere around the world. I didn't really care where it was. I just wanted to make sure it had to meet certain criteria for me. 
Um, so I found one in Thailand. It was just absolutely amazing. So your day would consist of, so there are three tiers I should start with. So there's um, a full fast, which is what I do. I don't eat. Yeah. Um, or there's a juice fast or there's a, an organic raw food fast. Uh, and that's incorporated with daily massages, um, colonics, yoga, uh, meditation, uh, nutritional supplements, exercise. Uh, and to be able to, to do that outside of your own environment has an even bigger impact. Like these are the kinds of things you can't do when you're still around home or still around your, your old habits. So to be able to go away and just literally focus on yourself and your health uh, and just resetting your system, you know, mm. uh, mentally and physically. Uh, it's, it's an amazing gift. I mean, if you offered me a holiday, like if you offered me a holiday to go to a resort somewhere and sit by a pool and drink, or you offered me to go and do a detox, I'm taking the detox every time. Yeah. Is the start of the detox hard? It is hard, yeah. Uh, uh, especially when... I mean, obviously, when you decide to go and do another detox, you're at the, the point where you've been overeating and overdrinking and, and, you know, lacking in exercise and, and overstressed. So when you go there, you know, you feel shit. <laughs> uh, and so you start the program and normally about day three, day four, uh, when all the toxins are really moving and you're trying to get things out and you can have a, a bit of a dive and that can affect people differently it could just be headaches it could just be tired nausea uh, yeah and then you just start to come up yeah on the other end yeah how much does something like that cost um so including flights backwards and forwards and we would normally go and do a full um eight day eight night program and so you would have accommodation either side of that you know maybe only a night or so so uh, I think per person for us it works out maybe uh, around four thousand. Yeah. 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 And then while you're there, you have the opportunity to do other processes as well. You know, like you can have. There are people that come in and they do talks on stress or life coaching or acupuncture and you know other forms of uh, of breathing or or, or or meditation. And you can choose to have extra private sessions as well, and you just pay for those accordingly. And is there like a um a protocol for you to follow after this is all finished? Uh, yeah, there is. So uh, they have the process, especially if you're fasting, like for someone like me, mm. so I don't eat the whole time I'm there. Um, but I am I'm consuming liquids and, and nutritional supplements all the time, so it's not like I'm not having anything at all. Uh, so two days before I would be due to come home, I would start to then introduce like raw meals. Uh, and just get your body ready to get on the plane and come home. And then hopefully you can try and sustain that uh, for as long as you can, you know, and then just fit it back into your lifestyle. And that does happen really well for a certain amount of time. And, you know, and then you're back into your, your life and your habits and, and your work. And, and then it all blows out the back door again. So I think it, 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 we keep going back to try and find that consistency where we're doing it you know, maybe 70, 80% of the time. Yeah. Because you know? nobody's 100% perfect. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a poster child for organic eating or, or, or detoxification, but, you know, like we do, we do really good. We do our best. Yeah. You should be able to enjoy some foods occasionally. Yeah. That 
aren't necessarily the best for you. That's exactly right. I mean, life's about, you know, enjoying your time here. I mean, for somebody, if they if they choose to live like that 100% of the time and that's what makes them happy, that's fantastic. You know, but we happen to to like food and, and we like wine and, you know, like and we like entertaining and, and associating, associating with friends and family, you know, so you can't be... You can't be perfect all the time. Yeah. Just two more questions about your husband before we move on. How did he feel about this alternative way uh, when it comes to treating his heart and the cancer? Because in my mind, I am imagining him as somebody who would be quite standoffish to these ideas. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, because we had been doing these, these detox protocols, for quite a few years before things, you know, yeah. came to the crunch with him. Uh, so he was aware there were other avenues. But obviously when you're the person getting that news and you're going through it, I mean, all he wanted to do was make sure he stayed alive. You know, so it was a little bit of a challenge to sit down. I mean, I can't tell him what to do, um, but I can remind him that there are other things that he could try, you know, safely without putting his health into any, you know, further jeopardy. So it's that fine line between saying, you know, well, maybe have a look at this and give it a go uh, and then see how we go and then move on from there. Uh, but when you're, you're trying to absorb that news uh, and you're trying to make sure that no matter what happens, you, you know, you survive it, it can, be, it can be a tricky situation. So for him, I, I guess I had to be really gentle and, and I had to respect the fact there are some times he said, well, you know, the doctor said I've got to take this medication. That's mm. what I'm taking. Like, if that's what's going to keep me alive, that's what I'm taking. You know, and I had to stand back and say, not a problem. I support you with that. But while you're taking that medication that does have other side effects, let's look at how we can help either nutritionally, you know, or, or with, with more exercise as to how we can mitigate those side effects. So... You know, there is mm. some balance there. So yeah. it, it, it was, yeah, it was just a, a balancing act, really. How is he stressed now? Oh, much better. Much better. Yeah. Because yeah. it would have put things in some perspective for him. Yeah. Having a health scare like that, like right now, I, I could probably relate to him being consumed by work, but I feel like... It, when you get something like that, it puts things in perspective and different things become important. Almost like coronavirus did a little bit as well for a lot of people. Yeah. Like human connection became a lot more important when it got taken away from us. His health would have become a lot more important after he had the health scare. Mm. And you do, you've got to ask yourself, you know, really big questions. You know, not only as an individual going through something, but also uh, as a family. You know, he had his own decisions to make. Um, but at the same time, everything that he did affected my life as well. You know, so there were... I mean, we were lucky that we were able to talk, my husband and I, you know, have really good communication and we were able to have some really serious conversations and, uh, and ask, you know, what's important to us? What do we want out of life? And how are we going to get there? Like, is it at all costs? Or do you step back and do you enjoy life sometimes? You know, and say that, you know, that end goal isn't worth the work and the stress, you know, to be able to get the money to do that. You know, 
again, life's a balancing act. But if you don't ask yourself those really big questions, you know, what do I want out of life? What does it take to make me happy? Uh, you know, as an individual uh, and collectively as a husband or a wife or, you know, son or daughter or family member or just a friend, you know, you end up just ploughing through the same day, mm. you know, every other day. You don't change things. Things don't change. So, and if you don't get those wake-up calls and you don't change from those wake-up calls, you know, I, I don't know what the purpose to life is. I think they're there for a reason, you know. Yeah, definitely. What's the bare minimum for your happiness? Uh, again, it's balance. Yeah. Uh, it is. You know, as I said, I'm not going to be the poster child for for any one thing, you know, for me and for my family, it's about trying to blend things that work for us and make us happy. Uh, And the reason I guess that I wanted to speak out is there are so many things that are available out there that people aren't aware of. You know, like you you, you say meditation to some people and they're like, what, What's, what's the benefit of that? You know, like, there's a huge benefit in yeah. meditation, just meditation alone, because what it does in just a few minutes or, or, or even an hour, it makes you switch off, you know, it shuts off that stress response, you know, that's on all the time. So you've got a parasympathetic nervous system, you've got a sympathetic nervous system, and when you're stressed and you're abusing your body, whether it's with time, you know, energy, food, or, or just negativity, you know, um, you're in that sympathetic nervous system state all the time. Your stress is palpable. It doesn't switch off. So you never have that chance to, to rest and heal. Something as simple as meditation or being aware of your breath, you know, can calm the body. So then you activate your parasympathetic nervous system. That's your natural you know, rest and digest and rest and relax. And that's when the body heals. That's what happens when we sleep at night. That's the body's natural way of resetting and healing. But if you're not sleeping well, you know, and you don't have a good diet, whether it's, you know, the food that you ingest for fuel or whether it's the food that you take into your mind and into your heart, you know, it it doesn't have to be just about the thoughts that you think about other people. They could be the thoughts you think about yourself. You know, you could be in a relationship or a family dynamic or a work dynamic where you're not happy, you know what I mean? And if you can't address that and switch that off, even in your sleep, you're in, you know, a heightened state of stress. And that's where we have, you know, like a world of really unhealthy people and mentally unhealthy as well as physically unhealthy. Uh, And I think it's a shame. Yeah, I agree that um, meditation has its place in situations like that. But also, there would be a place for counsellors and psychologists. Absolutely. You know, talk therapy is amazing. Yeah. You know, but again, talk therapy and counselling, it's just one tool in a toolbox. So somebody, you know, like I might not like talk therapy, I might... You know, there are people that don't want to sit there and tell people about their problems, you know, so they might want uh, another outlet. So breath work, for example, you know, breath work allows you to to digest those things yourself in your own mind. You know, when you get into that parasympathetic nervous system state without having to tell a counsellor. So when in breath work, for example, 
so when you suppress thoughts, emotions, or any kind of energy, it doesn't go anywhere. It lives in your body. Mm. It lives in your cells, and it has a memory. Yeah. When you can activate the parasympathetic nervous system so and, and shut your mind off at the same time, your body has a release, that somatic energetic release. Uh, and you don't sometimes even have a chance to stop it and control it. Um, so emotions can come out. You, you might start crying. You might start yelling. You know, you might feel angry. You might start laughing. You know, so for those people that don't like talk therapy or counselling, you know, another modality like that might be beneficial to help them get that repressed energy and those emotions out. So, yeah. How will you know when you're in these states? So the the breath work training that I've done. Yes. So there's breath work. So you can do breath work uh, just for relaxation or, or, or just for meditation. Or there's breath work journeying. So that's what I do. So when you do a breath work journey, my, my role as a facilitator is to get you to change the rate and the ratio of your breath and to sustain it at a certain pace for a certain period of time. The first thing that does is activate your parasympathetic nervous system and it helps your brain start to change its brain waves. So the brain wave you and I are in now, for example, is a beta brain wave. So that's our active doing state. Uh, when you go into a, uh, a daydream state, to be a nice meditative state, that's an alpha brain wave. So when we do breathwork journeying, we're trying to get you to go into a theta brain wave. And that is the deep meditative state, uh, a dreamlike state. And when you change that brain wave pattern just through the breath, that's when all sorts of expressions are able to come out and your body is able to regulate itself, not just physically and mentally, you know, but emotionally and spiritually as well. So would the client going through the breath work like express the feelings during the session? Yeah, so I guess the hardest thing uh, for a client in a breathwork session, so probably the first 10 to 15 minutes are the hardest, and then you get to a point where you're either going to let yourself go and drop into that theta brainwave state and just continue with the journey. Like you're still aware, so it's done to music as well, like evoking music. So you're aware of the music and, and, and you're aware of my voice if I'm trying to keep up your breath to a certain pace. Um, but what's happening inside your mind is something completely different. Um, but some, So that first 10 to 12 to 15 minutes, some people's mind can be really hard to start to slow down and switch off and they might be thinking, you know, oh my God, what am I having for dinner tonight? And, and I wonder what the time is and uh, I've got to be somewhere after this. And, you know, they might have physical sensations where they feel a heaviness in their chest or in their stomach, you know. So it's trying to push through that resistance. There's a mental resistance and there's a physical resistance uh, that allows you to either drop in or to stay where you are. So it depends on the client, like how much they give in to the resistance or they allow themselves to push through it as to how they're gonna drop in. Some people don't and, and then my job is to just try to keep their breath consistent and then I just let them have a nice meditative, sometimes even a sleepy state 
you know, and then I bring them around at the end. And those people that are able to push through that resistance are to switch off their mind and to push through the physical sensations. And again, that's just repressed energy that they've been holding on to. So for example, myself, I hold on my stress in my diaphragm. Mm. So when I do a breathwork session on myself and I've had a really, you know, stressful, tense week, um, my diaphragm can start to constrict and cramp and I find it hard to breathe. So I've got to slow my breath down until that goes and then I'm able to pick that pace up again. So for everybody, it's different. So if we can push through that resistance uh, and stay with that breath and change the brainwave, all sorts of things can happen. Are you familiar with Wim Hof? Yes, I am. Is this what he practices? Uh, so yes. Um, so Wim does breathing for health. Uh, and also, obviously, he's, he's very well known for, for breathing for his focus uh, and his uh, machine. Um, but he doesn't actually do breathwork journeys. So when I do a breathwork session on someone, for example, um, I'm going to be getting them to hold that consistent breath or to keep that consistent breath going at a certain pace for up to 40, 45 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, so Wim does, he might do, and I have heard some of his, um, his breathing techniques and he might take you through a series of breaths and breath holds for maybe five to 10 minutes. And again, that's amazing. Uh, it does activate your parasympathetic nervous system. It resets your system. Uh, it allows you to calm your mind, um, but it's not actually gonna take you on a journey where it changes that brainwave. Yeah. Yeah, I've, um, I've watched him do it and watched some of his clients do it via YouTube and tried it myself once. Um, and then, the people he takes on his fitness breath work, we'll refer to it as, they can hold their breath for minutes afterwards. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. Can, can you hold your breath for minutes? No, no, we don't do... So, so there is a place for breath holding. Yeah. Uh, and depending on, on who you are and what you want to use it for, you know, there's certainly a time and a place for that. But no, it, my breath work is I try to keep mine consistent. Um, if I'm just doing a meditation, for example, and I'm not doing an active breath work session, I will use breath holds, but they might only be for six seconds, you know, or 10 seconds. Yeah. 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 So like how often are you changing the pace and is it ever exhausting? It can be exhausting, yeah, especially if you're tired. Uh, and if you're not used to, to breathing a certain way, and especially if you're not used to breathing diaphragmatically. And from your stomach so a lot of people are chest breathers so they literally breathe shallow from their chest it's very difficult for that person to get into a diaphragmatic breath but if you don't activate the diaphragm and breathe from your belly first and push it up to your chest uh, you're not taking in that full oxygen cycle so yeah it is work it's called breath work for a reason you do have to work at it yeah <laughs> is it always through the mouth or through the nose? No. So uh, the breathwork method that I've been trained in uh, is through the nose. So it's a nose inhale yes. and it's a mouth exhale. And again, that's due to uh, the nervous system So and which response it's going to pick up. So when you breathe through your mouth consistently, uh, I, again, I'll use myself as an example. Like if I was to run from here down to the end of the street, I'm at some point going to go 
you know, because I can't breathe. Mm. And, and when I do that, I'm signaling my, signaling my body and my brain to send oxygen and blood to wherever I need it the most, whether it's my heart or my legs or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, is going on. Um, that also activates your sympathetic nervous system. Uh, so your heart rate's increasing and your, your blood pressure's increasing. And you can only sustain that for a certain amount of time. When you want to go on a breathwork journey, for example, you don't want to be in that state. You don't want to be fighting for your breath and you don't want to put any more stress on your body. So that's why it's a breathe in through the nose and then breathe out through the mouth. And as much as you take a breath in, you also push the breath out with the same force. So just imagine that you're taking these really deep breaths in and then when you breathe out, you're just going... So all the... All the oxygen you're taking in, you know, most of it's still staying in there and it's not getting out. So yeah. you've got to make sure it's a full breath cycle in and out, but always through the nose so it relaxes the, the nervous system. You can take in more oxygen through your nose, fact, or not? I read that once. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, well, in the breath work studies that I've done, yes, you can take in more oxygen through your nose. And, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, that's what it's there for. Yeah. You know, we our mouths weren't designed to breathe in and out of. Our noses were. So you can close your mouth and still be able to breathe in mm-hmm. and out of your nose. But if you're consciously mouth breathing in and out your mouth all the time, you're putting pressure on all of your organs. Yeah. Do you make a conscious effort to breathe through your nose throughout the day? Yeah. And even... So exercise and me don't go together like very well uh like especially running so if i'm going to go for a brisk walk for example i do i naturally my mouth will naturally open because that's what i've done my whole life so i'm conscious then of closing my mouth um it can get really tight in the chest and it can be restrictive to breathe but if i can push through that for five or ten minutes and i do i mean obviously i can take in so much more deeper breaths through my nose and i can last longer as well how does somebody feel after a breathwork session? Um, wow, I've had all sorts of responses and comments. Uh, even a lot of people can't even speak. Some people can't even put into words the experience that they have. Um, to come out of a breathwork journey uh, and, and to bring your brainwave back from that theta brain state uh, can be probably one of the most relaxing feelings that you'll you'll ever have and some people all they want to do is is go to sleep they just want to stay in that state Uh, when somebody says to me you know it's the most blissful feeling I've ever felt that to me is the ultimate you know some people come out of a breathwork journey and they say I don't even know where I was Uh, and that's that's a a beautiful place to be they call that um, the still point or the zero point field, you know, and they wake up and they, they're touching their body and they're touching the ground because they can't even feel themselves, you know. Yeah. And you literally do go in and you transcend in your mind and, yeah. Yeah. It, I imagine it would be one of those things you have to experience. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, look, I could be as descriptive you know, as I can in so many different ways, but I, because everybody's experience is completely different. I mean, even with my own sessions, no two breathwork sessions are the same. Uh, and the, you know, your soul is really intelligent. 
It gives you what you need when you need it. It will give you what you need to see, hear, feel or intend any given time. And it's never the same thing twice because you're never the same person twice. Every single minute is someone different. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No. Um, so you, could, you have a bad breathwork journey? Um, I guess... What do you mean by bad? Do you mean like yeah. a negative experience or an emotional experience? Yeah, yeah. Or? Maybe bad's a poor, poor choice of words, but like, yeah, they come out of it and maybe they never want to do it again. Uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's either they're not prepared to meet what's come up for them, and sometimes that can be difficult, um, or, you know, it, it's been facilitated and handled poorly. You know, in my training, you know, like we're, we're trauma-informed. You know, you have to be able to to deal with somebody's emotions. Like you can, somebody's emotions could be activated. Like something can be brought up, you know, that's a bad memory or a bad experience for mm-hmm. them. And, and, you know, you're the one facilitating that situation. You need to be able to know how to handle it. Um, so I guess the key is to always make the client feel safe and that anything, any expression, you know, is acceptable because whatever comes up for you is acceptable. You know, we constantly live our lives repressing our thoughts and our feelings, our emotions and saying, oh, no, no, I can't say that and I can't let that out and I can't feel that. You know, breathwork session, all of that gets taken away. So I guess if, you, if you're talking about like any bad experiences, I guess they would just be... Uh, that the emotional repression that gets allowed to be released, it can be pretty confronting sometimes. Yeah. 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 Who would you recommend a journey like this to? And don't say everyone. Like, <laughs> specifically, like, who do you think would really take something away from, from um, something like this? So, so people who are suffering, um, so, so there's a contraindications list, you know, with, with clients that are able to do breath work and obviously someone that's having psychosis or you know some severe mental health issues um, um, probably bordering more on schizophrenia is not a good candidate you know but that being said you know I, I encourage anybody with with depression and mental health issues that are having trouble coping you know to do a breath work session you know it's such a spiritual experience and sometimes you know all the things that you're telling yourself and that you're trying to hold in, they're only the thoughts that you're telling yourself. They're not yeah. always, you know, the way things are. So a breathwork session can actually do away, you know, with, with the thoughts and, you know, I guess the lies that we tell ourselves sometimes. Um, I would also recommend to, to anybody on a spiritual journey, you know, if they're asking the big questions like who we are or why are we here and, you know, what's out there and... You know, what does the universe mean? And, you know, what's the purpose of creation? I think they're always really magical journeys to be had as well when somebody's open to asking those big questions. Um, and anybody dealing with stress, and especially high stress. Yeah. You know, because it's really, really important physically to be able to shut down those stress responses into the calm and the rest and digest state. The list that you just mentioned, what else would we find on that, the contraindication um, list? So someone that had seizures, uh, aneurysms, like Andrew, for example, before he had his heart surgery, there was no way known he would be able to do a breathwork journey. Um, 
anyone that's got a, an obvious injury or, or surgery. Uh, and kidney disease and diabetes as well, because when you change the, the rate and the ratio of your breath in somebody like that, they can go into a, um, a condition called acidosis. I don't know a lot about it, but apparently it's dangerous for, for those people who rely on a safe, consistent breath to keep their condition in check. Mm. Yeah. Who else in town would you recommend when it comes to like the holistic medicine, meditation scene in Shepparton? You know, there are so many amazing practitioners here offering you know, a wide array of services. You know, acupuncture, for example. Acupuncture is amazing. I mean, I, I go and have acupuncture. I do Reiki on myself, but I also go and see people that do Reiki as well for a different experience. And what that is doing, it's working on energy. Um, so I can go and see someone that does a Reiki session uh, to help, you know, release any stagnant energy. And I can go to um, uh, the guys at the acupuncture clinic and it's a completely different experience, but it still has the same effect. Um, so uh, there's, um, there's Mitch, Emily Klaus at the acupuncture center. They're the only ones here in town. Um, I know you know Cheryl from Muse Meditation. She does amazing meditation treatments. Askai Nixon from Murchison. Uh, she's an amazing intuitive. She's a medical intuitive. You know, she's a Reiki practitioner as well. Uh, Lisa Organ from Inner Harmony. Have you heard of Lisa? She does. Bowen. Yeah, she does yeah. Bowen and Reiki. Um, Tani Gook from uh, Revive Health Osteo. You know, she doesn't just do osteo, she does bioenergetic works as well, you know. So what we're doing when we tap into those other modalities is working with energy and being able to regulate energy or, or move blocked energy. And energy is also communication. Um, I'll give you a really good example about that is there's a, a, um, an organization over in the States called the Heart Math Institute, and they actually scientifically measure the electromagnetic field between the heart and the brain mm. to see if they can measure the communication, if it is actually scientifically proven. And, and they can do that. You know, the evidence is there. The electromagnetic field out of the heart is 60 times greater than the electromagnetic field out of your brain. You know, so they're saying that the communication is actually coming from the heart to the brain and not vice versa, which is what we've always been told. You know, everything starts here and then it filters out through the body because the brain is more intelligent. Um, but the afferent pathways, the communication pathways coming from the brain, from the heart to the brain are more than there are coming from the brain into the heart. And when you measure somebody's electromagnetic field that radiates from their heart, that can be felt up to three feet away. So you know when you can be in someone's presence and you feel really good about them, you just say we, we have that term, I've got a really good vibe off that person. Yeah. You know, that's energy. And the same can be in reverse. Like you can be in someone's presence and you can get a really dark, heavy feeling or you can just get the chills. Yes. And you don't like that person and you don't know why. You know, that's energy. And it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means that's what they're giving off at that time. And they won't even realize it. Because we also go through life like, I can be in a bad mood, but I have to present to a situation where I've got to be, you know, happy and, you know, interacting with people. But inside, that's not mm. what I'm feeling. You know, if you're in tune to that, you can feel yeah, that. Definitely. You can tell. 
Do you think that your soul is located in your heart or in your head? Oh, that's a really interesting question. It's a good question. I certainly don't think it's in the head. Um, and I think the heart is the gateway to the soul. I think the soul, the soul is our spiritual intelligence, you know, and our body is just the avenue that we have to walk through life and, and to get in touch with those things. But I'm a very firm believer in that, you know, the communication and the access to the soul uh, is from the heart. Yeah. Do you need to know how to do Reiki to do Reiki? Uh, the reason why I ask is my grandma, when right. I was growing up, just as a young boy, she always used to say, I'll give you pocket money if you just come do Reiki on me. She'd make me hold my hands like above her shoulders where she thought she had a lot of stress okay. and stuff like that. And then um, she would say, I need to have, and she'd make me stand there for five minutes. And I thought it was like, what's going on? And um, then after I was done, she'd make me shake my hands out to get rid of all the bad energy. Yeah, and yeah. she reckons she made it, she thought it made her feel amazing. Yes. So I don't know if it was just her being a grandma and getting me involved and being around and communicating with her made her feel good yeah. or if I was actually doing the Reiki. Yeah. You know what? I, I would probably say both. Um, so to be a Reiki practitioner, obviously, you need to be able to tune into that energy and you need uh, a facilitator to help you to tune into that energy to start with. But if someone like your grandma who's already in tune and she's just wanting you to you know, put your energy field in the same space as her energy field, and of course that works. Yeah. You know, like not everything needs a label, you know, but today that's just what we call it. You know, energy work consists of all sorts of things. Um, as I said, just being just being in touch with someone and having good thoughts about someone being in their presence, you know, there's always a communication of energy happening, always. It's just whether we tap into it, yeah. you know, are we aware of it? You know, and do we care? Some people don't care, and that's fine as well. I'm going to end on a different question because I want to... We're running out of time. But um, how would you like to see the things we've spoken about today integrate with Western medicine? Uh, so a good example is in the States, when I did my integrative nutrition health coaching course, uh, and there's a lot of medical professionals that facilitate in that course and do lectures... Um, and they hire health coaches into their clinics. So when a patient comes in, so both the health coach and the doctor are in on the consultation. So they listen to what the patient's got to say and then they'll decide whether it's a medical condition. If it's a medical condition, it's the doctor's patient. If it's not a medical condition, it's the health coach's patient. So there's two pillars of integrative health. Um, one is primary food and the other secondary food. So primary food consists of four main avenues. Uh, it's relationships, career, spirituality, and physical exercise. Secondary food is the food that you take in for sustenance. You know, so you might have an imbalance in one of these areas that brings on a physical symptom. So you go to the doctor and you say, oh, listen, I've got these, you know, I've got digestive orders, uh, disorder, for example. You know, and if it was a health coach who was in on that consultation, they might be able to ask the leading questions yeah. to get to the backstory as to why someone's presenting with that physical condition. Because even though it's a physical condition, it doesn't mean it's a medical condition. Yeah. You know, it just could mean there's an imbalance going on in their life somewhere else. And I think if we can learn to, to utilise people who understand that concept, 
you know, uh, and work in with mainstream medicine, we could, number one, free up the medical system, you know, the doctor's offices and the emergency mm. department and, and have them be facilitated by somebody who can help them in those other areas and has better skills and, and more time to help them in those areas. So that's where I'd like to see, you know, integrative, holistic and alternative medicine blend and complement. You know, and I know for a fact it works. It sounds great. Yeah. I'd be all in on that. Um, obviously, there'd be hurdles around that as well. Like some people don't want... They don't want the health coach's advice. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They just want the pill that's going to make them feel better. Yeah. And that's fine. But yeah, yeah. that's fine. Exactly. I would still, that doesn't mean you don't do that. Everybody has the right, you know, to their own health care. Yeah. Uh, so, and not everybody's buying what I'm selling, you know, but I'm not always buying what the medical profession is selling either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just finding what's right for us as individuals. And I also don't believe that we should be telling somebody else what they need or what they should be doing. They just should be able to, to have that range offered yes. to them. Yeah. But if they don't know about it, they can't make informed choices. 100%. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. Thank you for joining. I really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Nicole.